90.3, this is Near FM. Good evening to everybody. I'm Declan Ralph, and welcome to the Near FM pre-election panel discussion. Uh, we're joined tonight by candidates in the upcoming general election in the uh, constituency of Dublin Bay North. Now, for those of you who normally tune in at this time to hear Cassia and Thomas, they will be back next week at their usual time with their usual weekly uh, Polish programme. So we apologise to them uh, this evening. And if you miss any part of the uh, broadcast tonight or you want to tell your friends about it, it will be podcast tomorrow. It'll be up on near.ie from tomorrow. Um, we're broadcasting here live in front of an audience made up of members of the public and this evening we're in the Northside Civic Centre on Bunratty Road in Coolock and we're live, uh, broadcasting live from here until 9pm tonight. So welcome to the audience here in the Civic Centre and welcome to the candidates as well. And welcome to everybody listening on 90.3 and to those listening on near.ie as well online. Now, the candidates joining us tonight are Aon O'Reardon, TD uh, Labour, Councillor Michael O'Brien, uh, the Anti-Austerity Alliance, Finney McGrath, TD Independent, is here, uh, Councillor Michal McDonough, uh, Sinn Féin, Councillor John Lyons, uh, People Before Profit, Donna Cooney from the Green Party, and uh, Paul Clark, Independent. And you're all uh, very, very welcome uh, this evening. Now, if, uh, if you're listening at home, and you would like to ask the candidates a question, uh, there's a few ways you can do that. Um, you could uh, come down here and join the audience in the Civic Centre if you're not too far away from us. You can also phone us here at Near FM on 867-1190, 867-1190. You can text to 087-69-44500, 087-69-44500, or we're open on Twitter as well, at Near FM if you have any questions that way. Now this here is one of the most hotly contested constituencies in the country, they tell us, and um, so no pressure to the, the candidates. Um, with many household names in the running, uh, there's five sitting TDs, one former TD, one senator, nine councillors, and three former councillors. Uh, and it's definitely uh, not going to be an easy constituency to call. And is seen, uh, as you may have seen in some of the uh, Sunday newspapers, is seen as a barometer for the rest of the country as to how the election might turn out. So now, uh, to the candidates. In order to be fair and balanced, each candidate will get 90 seconds uh, to start off with to outline their credentials for election to Dáil Éireann and to say why they should get your vote on February the 26th, just over two weeks away now. Um, we're going to ring a bell, candidates, after 60 seconds, just to let you know that you're nearly finished, and then again at 90 seconds to let you know that you need to finish up. And then after each candidate has spoken, we'll begin asking the questions uh, that come in on text, on the phone, on Twitter, and uh, from our audience here as well. So we decided to do a little bit different this evening. We're going to do it in reverse alphabetical order, uh, just for a change. Uh, so therefore, we're going to start with Aon O'Reardon, um, TD for uh, Labour, and ask Aon for his uh, first contribution of the evening. Aon. Well, thanks very much, and welcome to the audience and to my fellow uh, candidates. It's great to be here um, back in, in Bonratti Road in the Civic Centre. Well, I just want to maybe outline where we want to go from here. As people will know, the uh, last five years have been tough 
have been difficult and we certainly have a huge amount of challenges that still lie ahead. Housing and health would be the two obvious ones that people are raising and justifiably raising and obviously crime in the more recent time. What I've tried to do over the last number of years as a, as a backbencher and then um, a Minister of State was to attempt to bring us from a situation of absolute economic crisis to a position of stability and growth. And we managed to achieve that uh, over a five-year period. We've seen the level of decrease in the unemployment figures and aligned with that we were determined to have a threshold of decency underneath the economy that we could then build on. So while minimum wage had, had been... Had, am I gone? Am I done? 15 more seconds. Well, look, that's what I want to do, uh, to build on the achievements of the last five years uh, for the next five years in government with the Labour Party. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Well, I've been an activist in uh, socialist uh, politics, uh, the trade union movement and campaigns for the last 24 years, the last three and a half of which uh, has been in this area, during which time I was elected uh, as a councillor. I think coming into this election campaign, we're challenging the claim of recovery that's been made by this government, which clearly has not been the experience of the majority of people in uh, Dublin Bay North. Obviously, myself and my comrades in the Anti-Austerity Alliance have been very attentive to the struggle against uh, the water charges. Not necessarily because water is the biggest issue in the world, but it has been an issue around which people have showed a preparedness uh, to fight and stand up after accepting you know, five or six years uh, of austerity. We want a left government coming out of this uh, election, one that uh, does serious work in undoing the damage of the last seven years since the crisis began. If that, the numbers don't permit that, we definitely want a bigger team of radical left TDs in the Dáil to be both a strong opposition within there. We want a bigger stage for radical left ideas, but also we want to be uh, linked to people power movements outside the Dáil. We want to, to replicate the experience of the water charges struggle around other major issues like the housing crisis, healthcare crisis and so on. We want to rally people uh, around those issues and exert a, a pressure on whatever government we have next to force the pace of change uh, from below in society. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. Um, now, on to Finney McGrath TV. Finian. Uh, good evening, everybody. And first of all, it's great to be in, uh, on Near FM and in, in Coolock tonight. My own background essentially is that I come from the voluntary and community sector. I'm involved for many, many years on the board of the Northside Centre for the Unemployed up the road there in Coolock for over 25 years. I'm a former chairperson of, Dons, of the Dublin branch of Dons in Ireland and also a former full-time voluntary worker with the Simon community. So I come into politics from the community and voluntary sector. I also come in with the support and advice of the late and great Tony Gregory TD. Uh, my, uh, I got elected to Dublin City Council in 1999 and to the Dáil in 2002, 2007 and 2011. My key issues are basically health, disability, uh, supporting small businesses, education, the whole issue of bringing more uh, uh, investment to disadvantaged areas and also the whole uh, issue of pr uh, preserving Dublin Bay. I believe strongly in a modern inclusive Ireland I think that over the last five years, we've seen many mistakes made by this current government. I think we need a change of government. We need a, we need a more inclusive society. We need to bring the, the so-called recovery back to people on the ground because many, many people are suffering out there. And my job is to fight like hell uh, for all the, my constituents in Dublin Bay and Earth. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Finian. Now we're moving on to Councillor uh, Michal McDonough, Sinn Féin. 
Uh, Michal McConaughey, Sinn Féin candidate, and uh, I'm running also with uh, Councillor Denise Mitchell, who's the second Sinn Féin candidate in, in the Dublin Bay North constituency. I've been a community activist in this area for many years. Uh, I'm hoping to give real representation to the people of Dublin Bay North, and also to be part of a Sinn Féin team that can bring about real and lasting change uh, in this country. I think Dublin Bay North has been to, to the fore in the change that is happening in Irish politics. Uh, through the water charges movement and the community grassroots movement that we have seen, which largely began here and, and has been very strong here. And I think that's, that's a symptom of the real change that is coming. In uh, 2011, we saw the power of Fianna Fáil, which had been there for decades, broken. And I believe we can see the same in terms of Fine Gael and Labour in this election, and that we can have a new uh, and progressive uh, force in Irish politics. The issue of housing is absolutely crucial. Uh, we want to see uh, the water charges and uh, the family home tax uh, abolished. Uh, and we want and we have a costed plans to provide housing, to transform our health services, to provide local authorities with the resources they need to serve the communities. Th this is the, the programme that we have uh, fully costed. And we're willing to work with other progressive voices on the left to bring this uh, real change about. Thanks, Michal. And now, uh, Councillor uh, John Lyons. John. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, good to have you all here this evening, and hello to the listeners out there. My name is John Lyons. I'm a People for Profit anti-austerity councillor uh, here in Dublin Bay North in the Beaumont Unamade Ward. I have to say, in 2016, Ireland is a pretty shameful place to live. Uh, it's a deeply, deeply unequal uh, country we're currently living in. We have huge disparities in wealth. We have some five billionaires, we have 30,000 millionaires, and we have one and a quarter million children living in deprivation, in consistent poverty. We have a housing crisis here in, in Dublin Bay North. There's some 6,000 people on the housing waiting list. We have many other people struggling, paying half their monthly income in rent, uh, there's no real rent controls in place, and now people are enforced, uh, the government believe, to pay water charges. It's a deeply, deeply, deeply unequal place where people are at the pin of their collar, week to week, just to put food on the table, to heat their homes and get their children off to school in the morning in good clothes. These things don't happen by chance. They're not some laws of nature. They are the result of political decisions taken by Fianna Fáil and the Greens originally, and now, over the last four and a half years, the Labour Party, most shamefully, but also Fine Gael. It is time to end the rule of the political class in this country and replace them with real, principled, honest, decent, caring uh, elected representatives. I hope to play my role in that. I think it's time that we have a new revolution 100 years after the 1916 rising. Thank you. Thanks, uh, John, Councillor John Lyons, uh, People Before Profit. Donna Cooney from the Green Party. Hi, um, Donna Cooney, Green Party. Uh, why I think you should vote for me, I've been 20 years uh, working uh, in Dublin Bay North on a voluntary basis. And um, like the volunteers uh, 100 years ago, um, I don't believe in uh, just thinking of the short term or uh, my own self-interests or the interests um, that they... They believed in having a vision for the future. And I think we really do need a vision for the future. Our system is broken and what happens is, you know, you just get the same old um, 
things over and over and over again with very little change. Uh, we're coming into a crisis now, a uh, crisis beyond, and we've had financial crisis, we've had booms and busts and booms and busts, and just before this election we'll be promised taxes, we'll be promised resources that, we, you know, that won't come about in the next thing. We're not promising to cut any taxes, we're being realistic because we're saying if you want to spend money on, 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 on fixing things, then you can't be cutting taxes all around. So that's honest. You know, um, if you want to spend money on, on, on having a, a better healthcare system, on having better schools, um, but it's, it's the way you tax people and it should be a fair system. So I'm talking about innovation, I'm talking about community, I'm talking about putting it in the referendum, having a referendum straight away if I went to a referendum that everybody has a right to a home. Uh, it's in the um, Charter of Human Rights that we've signed up to and it's something that we should have as a basic. And keeping uh, ownership of public water and, and all these things are very important and we need to have real democracy and that's giving democracy back to the people. Thanks to uh, Donna Cooney from the Green Party. Paul Clark, Independent now. Hi, my name is Paul Clark. I own a small web development business. This is my third election running as an independent and an inclusive leader. Uh, I ran in the previous council elections and the 2011 general elections campaigning for people's participation in major political decisions that affect their lives. When elected, I will be open to working closely with the next government by off offering a Tony Gregory-style agreement that will introduce my list of policies for better service, which will be drafted at a public debate of my constituents in exchange for my doll vote throughout the next term of the next government. Thanks, Paul. Um, now, and uh, also uh, joining us since we started is Tommy Bruin, uh, TD, Independent. Uh, Tommy, uh, 60 seconds, we'll tell you, uh, we'll, you'll hear the bell, and 90 seconds then to finish up. So your, your opening remarks, please. Okay, well, well good evening, everyone. Um, delighted to be here at, at, at this debate. Um, I've been in Independent since 2011 when I, I refused to support the renewal of the Blanket Bank Guarantee because I thought, I, I thought it would mean that we'd have uh, perhaps three or four billion of cuts year on year uh, and that that wasn't um, what I stood for the last time and what I was elected for. Um, uh, I uh, have always been a local activist, as you know, myself and Pat Daly of Donamede. We founded the community campus behind us here, uh, Coolock Development Council, uh, in the mid-1980s. Uh, I put forward that for the last five years balanced budgets uh, with necessary taxation to, to Mr. Noonan and, and Mr. Howland uh, and to provide for the services I believe in. Essentially, I think we need to call a national housing emergency and start building homes for the 1,700 children that are in, in homeless accommodation tonight. I believe we need to have uh, get rid of this uh, almost third world style uh, health system. Uh, we need to build a new accident and emergency in Bowman Hospital that, that's been planned by the hospital leadership uh, for the last three or four years. Um, and uh, we need to, to spend probably at least another two to three billion uh, on, I think, uh, health um, and housing um, uh, in particular. Uh, we've also had, um, I think, something like 10 billion of cuts in education uh, over the last seven or eight years. Uh, we need to address that also. Uh, so uh, I, I'm a right to change independent. I work with uh, six or seven other independents. Uh, we have a clear program. We're willing to work with other uh, progressive right to change uh, parties and independents. Thanks. Okay, uh, that's uh, Tommy Brown, TV, Independent, uh, finishing up the initial contributions from each of the candidates we have here this evening, and thanks uh, to you all for that. Uh, now, I'm going to start taking questions um, initially from the floor here. We have some questions in already uh, on the text line, 087 
69 And uh, just to remind our audience here, if you have a question, just if you raise your hand and uh, Dorothy will get the uh, microphone to you. Um, we'd ask you to keep the questions and comments relevant, obviously, to the elections and uh, for the candidates here. And uh, I suppose one final rule, if you could keep the questions maybe as short as possible so we can, uh, you know, we can get through as many questions as possible and get through as many uh, people that would like to ask questions. So, um, has anybody uh, got the first question they'd like to ask? Um, I might, I'll take this lady in the front. I'll come to that gentleman there in a second. Down. I'd like to ask the candidates, what would you do to protect the environment of the people living near Dublin Bay? Because they seem to be running Dublin Bay down with that incinerator and Dublin port dumping in the bay. Okay. Aon, I'll start with you on that one. Yeah, I, I think there's been a, a lot of um, concern about Dublin Bay over the last period of time, and justifiably so. We seem to have moved on from the issue of the infill of the 52 acres to, to other concerns, um, and certainly the, the issue further down the coast has, has raised concerns recently as well. I know Donna Cooney was, was heavily involved in that too. Um, I, I, I certainly believe that in terms of that amenity, um, Dublin City Council have an awful lot to, to, uh, to be tackled about because we've gone from a situation where we had to block their proposal for a very high flood defence in 2011 to a situation there most recently where they have a flood wall proposal and all the while they seem to be incapable of having a proper liaison communication with the local community as to what the long-term plans are. It's a beautiful amenity, it's something that's internationally renowned and certainly I feel that uh, we have to constantly protect it, but I think Dublin City Council and other agencies need to be on board with communities and not, to be honest, have the perception of working against them. Okay, and uh, Michal McDonagh, uh, Sinn Féin, maybe you'd take that question as well? Yeah, well, I think the, the, the incinerator uh, was mentioned, and I think that's one of the greatest scandals that has happened in Dublin uh, in decades. The amount of money that has been poured into that project already without a brick being laid. And this has been done against the democratic wishes of the elected councillors on Dublin City Council. And it's a prime example of how local government has been deprived of democratic powers. And that's essential when we're trying to protect our environment and also when we're trying to ensure that communities are involved in decision-making. The, the issue of the, the flood defences in Clontarf, so, so much of that could have been avoided if we'd had proper community consultation, proper accountability, but that is totally lacking. And under this government and the previous government, the democratic powers of local government and of communities have been eroded. I mean, I can also, also point to the disgraceful privatisation of uh, the waste service in Dublin City Council, again, against the express wishes of the democratic elected representatives. Okay, Michal. And uh, Donna Cooney, what's the Green Party's view on, on this? Uh, that's a huge issue. I mean, it's something I've been, myself been working on uh, with Love Dublin Bay, and um, I set up a stand uh, uh, collecting signatures uh, to stop the dumping. Well, first of all, it started off with the planning application, went through Dublin City Council uh, for Dublin Ports Company. Uh, 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 redevelopment, uh, which includes um, dredging and dumping um, for 
six to ten years continuously, which um, I believe will destroy our bay and actually change the whole um, tidal pattern and has the potential to erode uh, Bull Island and also then to, to put all that silt back up in Sutton. It's a huge, huge issue and we got very little uh, attention to it. Um, only myself and a few campaigners and the usual stalwarts, um, Deirdre Tobin from, from the Clintarf Resident Association, somebody from Sandymount, were sitting there with no expert knowledge, just on our own resources, sitting there at an oral hearing. That was in 2014 and from that went on to all the various stages um, um, where it's at a dumping at sea um, now, it's with the EPA, who rightly saw with what I had stated was that it was an inadequate environmental impact statement. It's going to have devastation. It's a world UNESCO site, but we also have the incinerator and we have like the Minister for the Environment basically taking off uh, a levy on, um, on uh, waste at, at source from the packaging and now we're, we're looking at a charge for recycling from the ordinary consumer and that's in order to create as much waste as possible to burn in this incinerator because at the moment we are committed to putting so much waste in that incinerator that we don't actually produce that much waste so there's no incentive to reduce and uh, recycle it's only to burn 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 and the reason Dublin Port Company probably want to expand is so that they can import waste so we can burn it in our capital city and we'll all breathe it in so and uh, they'll be cooling all this uh, talk this as well in the sea and there's very little being done about it and the Minister for Environment is actually facilitating which I think is shocking. Thank okay you. thanks uh, Donna. Uh, Finney McGrath. Yeah just as a, as a, as a city councillor in 1999 and as somebody who was endorsed by the late and great Sean Dublin Bay Loftus, uh, Dublin Bay is a huge uh, local amenity. I've been involved in many campaigns particularly in relation to the 52 acres uh, in Phil issue because we have to be vigilant uh, about uh, to keep a close eye on Dublin Port. The recent issue is, of course, the huge row about the seawall. This was a scandal because it was very, very damaging to the local environment. There was no consultation with local residents. At the moment, I'm working for a solution. The final thing I'd say about Dublin Bay, it's a huge local amenity, huge potential there for tourism, for walkers. It's a fantastic nature reserve, but we have to be vigilant because there are elements of Irish society, including the Dublin Port and Dublin City Council, have other, op have other plans for our bay and we need to protect our bay. Uh, thanks Finney. I'll just uh, finish on this one here with uh, Councillor Michael O'Brien. Yeah, following on for that, I sit on the Environment Special Policy Committee on Dublin City Council and I can tell you that every second month when that meets there's a running battle between most of the elected members and some of the, the unelected members that sit on it and council officials uh, over the ongoing noise and pollution levels arising from the construction process. But the point has been made already that uh, they say that this uh, incinerator should have a 45-year uh, lifespan. It's predicated on getting a steady supply of waste, which by no means is guaranteed because the council, because of a court case that it lost, that doesn't have ownership over the waste that's given up uh, in, in the Dublin region, which includes the surrounding counties as well. And I, I've posed a question time and again about whether they even took into consideration the other uh, waste to energy incinerators that are in, the, are in the pipeline for construction around the continent of Europe and beyond, because you could have a perverse situation in decades to come where waste itself becomes commodified and there'll be uh, competition and uh, a price on, on waste uh, between competing waste to energy incinerators uh, across across the world and that's not where we want to go just the other point as well is that this 
whole debate isn't in isolation from the, the global warming, uh, the state of the environment, and we have to just uh, mark the disgraceful role of this government uh, and Taoiseach Enda Kenny in the Paris conference last year, where he said on the one hand that he wanted binding targets uh, placed upon all nations, yet we have had a climate change bill go through the doll with no targets whatsoever, and of course, away from the microphone, they've been lobbying hard for, for no targets to be applied on Ireland whatsoever, thanks to the big agricultural lobby. Okay, um, thanks Michael. We'll uh, take the next question. This gentleman here had his hand up earlier on. We'll take this one next, yeah? Would okay. the panel agree with me that we live in a four-tiered society? At the bottom end of the heap, we have people dying rough on doorsteps. We have 10 children a week going, or 10 children, 10% uh, of the population of children going to week hungry. There's 70 people being evicted from their houses every week, and there's a huge disparity in, in the wealth in the country. Uh, people are struggling to get by, and at the other end of the heap, we have people who are extremely rich, and uh, there uh, doesn't seem to be any uh, you know, disparity between one and the other. And, uh, and with regard to the incinerator you were talking about, it was Mr. Tierney was the CEO who, who uh, actually uh, proposed building the, the incinerator. Cost 96 million went up and not in smoke, just disappeared. And uh, they were to su su supposed to supply 600,000 tons of waste to keep it going. Now they're only producing half of this, and this is all coming to nothing at the moment. What sort of society we're living in would spend 96 million on nothing and all these kids and these homeless people uh, not even surviving, just, uh, just being there altogether? Okay. Right, thank you. Thanks a million. Great. Um, we won't go back to the uh, incinerator question again, but what I'd like to do is maybe uh, Tommy Bruin TD, uh, Independent TD, um, ask you that. Do you think we're living in a four-tier society? Yeah, I'd agree with you. I, I, I think um, there's no question. The research we have so far, I think, shows that maybe the top 1% own about 40% uh, of the country. Uh, the top 5% maybe get none for more than half the country. Uh, we've gr gross inequalities um, in, in this society. I tried, by the way, in the, the last stall, uh, I brought forward um, a high pay and wealth commission bill. Um, and you might remember there was um, a famous uh, book published on the uh, wealth and how wealth had developed, uh, you know, in, being possessed by a tiny minority uh, in France and England, the United States and here, uh, Tomo, Tomo, uh, Thomas Piketty, uh, a French economist, and um, uh, at that particular era we were trying to establish what the facts are, but clearly we need a much more, a much stronger uh, and fairer taxation system. Uh, for example, I proposed that we, we should have a 48% band, a 48% tax for those who earn more than 100,000, uh, 100, that we should have a wealth tax uh, on, the, on the top 5% uh, on, on their assets. I put forward that, those kind of proposals to Minister Noonan year after year. It is outrageous, as you say, that I mean, 12% of our children uh, are living in almost absolute poverty. And this government, this very government uh, under uh, the, the Labour leader, uh, Joan Burton, came forward with proposals uh, to change the rules for lone parents, uh, which uh, you know, ri risk turning 
up to 60% of, of the children of, of those families um, into a permanent poverty situation, an outrageous uh, change. So I believe it is within the capacity of a progressive government to start having a much fairer system uh, and to start spreading the wealth around and, and to, to give people a chance and to try and get away from this, as you say, four-tier society. Okay, Tommy, I'm going to come to uh, Councillor John Lyons, People Before Profit now. John, if, if you're elected and if you have uh, maybe some influence in government, maybe, uh, you know, some of the uh, minor, uh, you know, the, the different uh, TDs and that, yeah. uh, the independents and smaller parties like your own, mm -hmm. might have some influence in government, what would you do to, to change this and address the four tiers? Sure, yeah. Like if the opportunity does arise uh, after the uh, upcoming election on the 26th to form a left government, uh, of course, people for profit in the anti-austerity lines uh, would uh, partake in that government, but it has to be on a principled basis. So, as I said at the start, we have to rule out coalitions with the right-wing parties, with the Labour Party, with Fine Gael and with Fianna Fáil, because they've presided over, they've misruled this country since 1922. And that's what's led to this current situation, that in 2016, you have a very divided uh, society. In, on the anniversary of the lockout there, uh, back three years ago, a question was asked by Francis Devine, the Labour uh, historian, are we any better off in 2013 than we, are, than we were in, 20, uh, than in 1913? And he said, aside from general public health, no. People's basic needs haven't been met. We have a very good recovery for the rich, in the last five years, they have in, the top 300 have accumulated an extra 34 billion. They're having a whale of a recession. Meanwhile, as the, the questioner asked, uh, mentioned, we have people in desperate, dire situations, particularly children. I, just to focus on this, and this is why I think the impact of what Labour and Fine Gael have done over the last five years deserves a, like a massive response and it deserves for every one of those politicians to be chucked out of power because children now have no control over what happens to them. They have no control. The 2,000 children in Dublin City tonight who are homeless had no say in that, no say whatsoever. And it's, pretty, it's a sad indictment of Irish society in 2016 that we're in this situation. But there are things we can do. If a left government is a possibility uh, this year, or perhaps in five years' time, uh, we are part of the right to change, and we have a progressive policy platform that talks about our basic needs, a right to water, a right to health, a right to housing, to decent work, to decent jobs, a right to sustainable environment, a right to equality and democratic reform. These are, you know, I think, many policies which a lot of people uh, think are sensible, are achievable, are realistic. They're not, you know, utopian ideals that can't ever be achieved. If the political will was there, and I believe it is with people for profit uh, and with others on the left, I think we could begin to change Ireland for the better for the majority. Okay, uh, thanks uh, John Lyons. I'll come back to you in a second, uh, Michal. Aon, um, a couple of um, accusations here coming from some of your uh, running mates that um, the government really have uh, made a mess of this, really. <clears throat> what do you say to that? Well, I would say that when we stepped into government, which we didn't have to do, we had had a collapsed economy, completely a collapsed economy. We had 15% unemployment. And many of the issues that have been raised by my colleagues here are as a result of that crash. Now, I spent 14 years as a 
Labour Party um, member going around doors at election time trying to convince, convince people to believe in a more social, just Ireland, investment in education, investment in housing, in, 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 a, in a fair health system, etc. And everybody just said to me, we know Bertie Hearn's a great guy, I think I'll keep voting for him, doesn't he like Manchester United like I do? That's what we had for 14 years. And inequality in Ireland is not something that happened today or yesterday over the last five years, it's been with us for a long time. So I'm going to give you some practical things of what I've done over the last five years. My fundamental belief from my teaching background and from my political um, activism is that education is actually the great liberator. Education is what actually is going to make a difference. If you take a three-year-old, from a welfare-dependent family and compare that three-year-old to a three-year-old from a professional family, there is, um, the three-year-old from a professional family has three times the oral language capacity of the three-year-old from the welfare-dependent family. So you look at uh, initiatives that are here in Dublin 17, like Preparing for Life. They were financed by Atlantic Philanthropies, Atlantic Philanthropies were no longer funding them, and then I stepped in with my colleagues in government and ensured that we have a three million package to continue the work that they do, oral language, empowerment, literacy, uh, in terms of diet. The schools locally here can see the difference in the attendance of children and their, and their ability to, to learn. That type of empowerment of young parents at the earliest stage, it's actually what makes a difference. And we're not just doing it here. We've lined out 13 same, same, same programs across the country, 30 million investments, and there's 6,500 children in the Docklands, for example, where I used to teach, who are benefiting from that. So look, in terms of you know, wealth inequality and, and all the rest of it, we can talk that, uh, that, that debate as well. But how do we actually encourage children to grow up, to, to fulfill their, their potential? People talk about a wealth tax. I make this last point. And I will say this with the 1%. Before we came into government, the 1%, top 1% 1 earners were, were paying 18% of the total tax take. Now they pay 22% of the total tax take. But in terms of a wealth tax, as people have outlined here, we have a new tax called the property tax, which many people here are very much against. If you own a house worth a million quid, you pay 2,500 quid a year in property tax. That goes to local services such as housing, such as sheltered housing, such as parks, programs and libraries. That is effectively what we have stood over and I'm happy to stand over. Okay, um, I'll, come, I, I'll get you now. I promise Michal, Don, I'll get you now just in one second. I promise Michal I'll come back to him next. Um, Michal, um, Aidan's outlined there all uh, the government have done over the last couple of years to, uh, to make things better for people. Well, Aon has emphasised education and, and, and there's also an emphasis on jobs and those are extremely important. But if you look at how this government has compounded the crises, there are people who are in jobs and in some cases in quite decent jobs in this, in this city who cannot afford a roof over their heads. They have their children in education, but they could be in a and b or in a hotel room trying to bring their children to school. Uh, sometimes very far away from where their accommodation is because the, the crises have been compounded by the actions of this Fine Gael-led government and very much Fine Gael-led government. Um, the questioner spoke about the divisions in Irish society and the, the fort here. A uh, hundred years ago, James Connolly said that the freedom of a nation is measured by the freedom of its lowest class and every upward step of that class raises the nation in the scale of civilization. We're at a crossroads. The crossroads, the choice is very clear. If we go down the road of a Fine Gael-led government, which is clearly the choice on the right, with, it, with what's left of the Labour Party tagging along to make up the numbers, we are going to have an increasingly divided society, much more divided. That is the direction they are taking us. The alternative is a left-led government, 
with a, a, a strong Sinn Féin presence, others on the left, those who have, who have signed up to the Right to Change Charter, which will put the emphasis back on equality, on helping those least able to help themselves in health, in housing, in all the services, not in rewarding the wealthy. Let's not forget, in this election, Fine Gael wants to abolish the USC for the highest earners. For example, the Taoiseach would come out 12 grand better per year and other higher earners. That's what they want to do. Our choice is put those resources into health, education, public services, housing. That's where we need the resources. Okay, Michal, I want to bring uh, Donna Cooney from the Green Party in there. Yeah, I think I suppose um, if you look at the in injustices and the uh, inequality, you'll find that um, particularly when it comes to, say, lone parents, most of those would be women. Um, and uh, expecting uh, that a child would, uh, that would be able to let themselves in like a latch child kid at the age of seven, um, that um, the, the mother has to go out to work then at that point uh, um, uh, doesn't get any um, uh, lone parents or any support and uh, there aren't any childcare facilities for that and also talking about an investment in, in education, um, the, the class numbers have gone up, my child is in, um, my six year old is in a class of 34, um, teachers are getting paid less. They're under in huge stress and strain. The new teachers that come in are at a lower pay scale. So why is this, you know, um, if, if they are interested in investing in education, why it is that our youngest children are in that vulnerable situation? Um, and I don't believe that it's, it's in Ireland uh, of equalities. Um, you look at the, the children are there now studying the proclamation this year, which is great. But they're reading that cherish all the children of the, of the nation equally and uh, working towards the prosperity and the happiness of, of society. There's so much more we can do in a progressive way, use innovation. We don't need to have the social welfare system that, the way that it is. There should be flexibility in the working life for people and uh, bringing in a basic income and allowing people flexibility in their working life so they can be carers at some times, so that they can work part-time and, and share, share the, the workload and share the wealth. Okay, uh, Donna, uh, we bring two more in, this Finian and uh, Michael. Uh, first of all, we, we, I do accept that we have a huge inequality in Irish society and the way I, I put forward three practical steps to, uh, to uh, deal with this particular issue. First of all, I prioritise capital investment into the most disadvantaged and underdeveloped communities. Second of all, I would strongly support the Children First campaign which puts early childhood education a priority. If we can get the one to four year olds uh, into early education prioritise that, we will make a major dent in inequality because as far as I'm concerned, education is a way out of poverty. And the third and final thing is, a very practical, sensible thing to do would be to expand and support the SME sector, small and medium enterprises. There are 200,000 SMEs in this country at the moment. There are thousands of them on the north side of Dublin. If one SME employed just one extra person, that would uh, effectively wipe out unemployment. I think it's, I'm working very closely with Senator Fergal Quinn on this issue and I also, as I said earlier on, I'm a, board, a director of, of the Northside Centre for the Unemployed with Deirdre Smith uh, and her staff. And they, they're three practical ways to deal with the issue of inequality. Inequality has got worse in Irish society over the last five years and we have to tackle it. 
Okay, finally for this question, uh, Michael O'Brien. Well, I just want to respond to a, a point that Aon Reardon made about um, the need for a wealth tax. And he knows, and it's a very common thing amongst uh, pro-establishment figures, when you mention the notion of a wealth tax, they respond by saying about how much, uh, or what a percentage of tax the top 10% of earners, earners, mind you, make as a, as a you know, in the, the old POY tax take. So they actually switched the question, whereas in fact there's a whole other sphere of economic activity, of unearned and undertaxed wealth in our society, which is really what we're talking about, which they do not want to talk about. And just to give concrete examples, if you take employers' PRSI, Ireland is the second lowest employers' PRSI in the whole of uh, the European Union, uh, 27. And even a 1% rise alone would raise uh, 0.6 billion uh, euro. Corporation tax, the effective rate is essentially in the region of 8% according to Eurostat. Even if the 12.5% headline rate was enforced, that would raise an extra 2 billion uh, per year uh, for the exchequer. A financial transaction tax for all the economic activity in the IFSC, even 0.1% on that or 0.01% on derivatives would raise an extra billion uh, per year. Uh, 2% uh, tax on millionaires on what they own above a million in terms of net, net uh, assets because the figures are available to us every uh, quarter from the central uh, bank. That, that would be a real uh, property tax and wealth tax. That would raise uh, uh, something in the region of uh, 3.5 uh, billion euro. But you know, they don't want to go they'd say that's completely impractical but like somebody mentioned James Connolly already but one of the best quotes from James Connolly from a workshop talks that he wrote in 1909 is don't be practical when it comes to politics because these people would have you believe that, it, that it's practical to accept the status quo uh, where you know it's only the PAYE sector that has to take every single uh, imposition going and the rest of the rich you know, have to be left alone. Okay Michael thanks very much. Now a number of other questions uh, from the audience. Uh, Dorothy, if you, we'll, we'll come up and taste this, this one here next. Um, just to remind people, we're broadcasting live tonight uh, from the Northside Civic Centre on Bunratty Road in Coolock. Um, if you're listening to us online or on FM, you can phone 867-1190 with a question, 867-1190, or you can text 87 87 or if you're on Twitter, we're at nearfm. Um, now, we'll come and take another question from the audience. We have lots of questions coming in on text as well, and Twitter, uh, and the phone. We'll get to some of those now in just uh, a couple of moments' time. Question in the I'd audience. I'd just like to go back to something that Aon Reardon said um, when he was trying to exonerate himself and his colleagues from the awful debacle that they have left us with. He said, um, well, you know, we did inherit a collapsed economy. I think every dog on the corner, street corner, knew that we had a collapsed economy. There were two ways of going about writing it. One was a fair way, where there was a pro-rata sharing of the burden and in the way that they went was by getting the old, the vulnerable, the people with disabilities to share, take the biggest burden. The, this country has got, the rich have got richer, the poor have got poorer. What Aon, Aon O'Riordan and his colleagues have done, trying to uh, repair the collapsed economy, they have left us with a collapsed society. And I don't know why, as people who would pride themselves as being left-wingers, that they, they're not ashamed of themselves. His government is led by a man who said that if he's re-elected, he wants US-style taxes. And all we have to do is look at America and see the awful debacle that's all around. The number of the growing homelessness, as in Ireland, people hungry. In Ireland at the moment, I would just call your attention to the fact that there are children in Jesh schools stealing food on a Friday evening to bring home for the weekend because they don't have any food in their larders for the weekend. So I'd like Aon Reardon to respond to that, please. Okay, and we have to come to you first to respond to that. It's directly 
level that you yeah well and, look, the, and your government yeah well okay you you inherited a situation which you decided to take on the biggest crisis in the history of the state and either you walk away from it and point at it and complain about it or you try and do something about it now i i can give you a number of things that, that didn't happen because we were in government the the plan that we inherited had 1.77 billion extra of social welfare cuts which didn't happen had 600 million more of income tax uh, hikes which didn't happen had a minimum wage cut which was restored and now has been increased to 9.15 and we want with the vision we have for the next period of time to increase that to a living wage of 11.30. We inherited a situation with 15% unemployment um, and we have driven that down over a period of time to uh, 8 point, I think it's 8.6% now and every um, you know, group in society that I deal with from my equality hat on from the Department of Justice, from travellers to migrants to people with disabilities um, uh, to, uh, to people in addiction, all say that the fundamental thing that you have to change in society to increase their participation and to create a more equal society is employment, but not any kind of employment, but employment that pays well, that has decent terms and conditions and, uh, and where workers' rights are enhanced. And I would say this much. You talk to any of the main trade union, trade union leaders, they will tell you that in conferences they go to across Europe, there is one country in the entire European Union where workers' rights have been enhanced over the last five years, and it's Ireland. From, collecti from collective bargaining legislation to, to the uh, joint labour committees, which were, which were struck down by... Which were struck down by um, which was, I did actually, yes, thanks very much. Uh, sorry, I'm, if you just let me finish my point actually, go, thanks. Go ahead, Adam. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody else can be heard uh, uh, when they're interrupting. Um, in terms of the Joint Labour Committees, which were struck down by the High Court, and we in, in, ensured that legislation was, was, in, uh, was, was passed in order to, to defend it. We have inherited a diff difficult situation, but nobody in a, in, in a million years, and I certainly am not one of these, is doing handstands and demanding gratitude for the state of the country. We have huge challenges ahead. I feel we're in a better position now to tackle them because the last thing I'll say is the big argument now is, is this famous thing called the fiscal space, otherwise known as money. And we're all kind of arguing over whether it's this amount or this amount. Could you imagine five years ago that that would be the conversation the country is having now as to what we're going to spend the money on? We weren't in that situation five years ago. I think over the last five years we've, 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 we've improved things, but now we have to all collectively ask ourselves what kind of a vision of a society we wanted to, to achieve and what public spending we want to, we want to uh, prioritise. And our vision is not to end the USC, as Finnegate have said. What we want to do is for every change in the, in the, in the fiscal situation in this country, three quarters of that we want to invest in public services, one quarter we want to do in terms of tax relief for people under 72,000. Okay, uh, that was levelled directly at Aon. So we, we just, we leave that one at that uh, just for a moment. Um, just on the text line, uh, a number of questions um, coming in, and really I just want a quick yes or no answer on this one, first of all, to go through it. Um, the question is, can I ask the candidates whether they support the repeal of the Eighth Amendment, and if repealed, do they support a pro-choice position? Tommy Brown. The repeal of the Eighth Amendment, um, and um, uh, yeah, in general terms, yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay, uh, Paul Clark, your position. Yeah. I have not seen a good argument as to why the Eighth Amendment should be removed for abortion on demand. I would like to see a fair public debate on this important issue, as the Eighth Amendment protects life equality, which is the equal right to life between the mother and the child. 
Okay, uh, Donna Cooney, your, your position on um, the Green Party? Our, our, vote, our Green Party voted to um, uh, repeal the ACE um, because uh, we believe that it has endangered the life of, of women um, by not being able to get the proper health care and um, that, uh, that has been a recommendation of all the medical... Okay, uh, John Lyons, Councillor John Lyons, People yeah, Before Profit. Very happy to say that we are fully in support of uh, repealing the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution because it's always uh, a woman's right to choose. I think we have abortion in Ireland. Uh, we're just hypocritical in how we view it. So many women travel over to the UK in particular, but Holland also to have abortions each and every day of the week. It's pretty shameful now that we have a legal situation which would actually mean that these women are punished, they're treated as second-class citizens, and I think that we have to repeal the eighth, and abortion should be uh, available on demand and accessible to all. Uh, Michal McDonough, your uh, position and Sinn Féin's position on this. Yes, we support uh, the repeal of the Eighth uh, Amendment um, and we need to open up the debate and allow proper legislation for all the circumstances that uh, pertain. The Eighth Amendment is regressive, it should never have been put in place in, in the first place and it has damaged the lives of women in particular and it needs to go. And Philly McGrath. Uh, yes, I strongly support the repeal the Eighth Amendment campaign and I also support the right of individuals to have their own uh, freedom of conscience and make their own decisions and choices, so I'm pro-choice. Okay, um, Michael O'Brien. I support the, the repeal of the Eighth Amendment and after that the legislation for free, safe and legal abortion facilities uh, for women in Ireland. I'm not in favour of the restricted regime that some of the other parties, Labour and Sinn Féin, want, which is not that the free, safe and legal that certainly I and others will be campaigning for. And furthermore, I salute uh, my comrades in the Anti-Austerity Alliance and Socialist Party who were, in, in, were involved themselves in the abortion pill bus initiative where uh, the abortion pill was brought into this state, which is against the law currently uh, and you know, in the public defiance and uh, actually uh, made it available to women who had crisis pregnancies. Okay, and finally, Aon O'Reardon. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm on the record as, as and my party is very much in favour of, of repeating the Eighth Amendment. We've published legislation which we feel would be, in, in the event of the amendment being repealed, that we could uh, see being passed, which is very much comparable to what the situation is in England, which 4,000 women a year are travelling to, to England to, uh, to access the deals with life, health and mental health uh, issues. I would say that in terms of actually having a referendum, we have a strong track record and having... Um, you know, social causes brought to a referendum in the Labour Party, but I would say this much to my colleagues is that um, while having a referendum is, is important, I think then we have to unite in terms of actually winning it because there are many people on, uh, in the centre ground of Irish society who will want to ask questions and have you know, this discussion in, in a respectful way. So while we all may agree on, on having the referendum, I think we have to unite and sure, make sure that we can actually win it. Okay, and, and that uh, question came in on the text line. Also on the text line, um, a question, uh, how do the candidates stand on the issue of the special criminal court, and uh, specifically in the context of the recent uh, serious gangland crimes? And I'm going to start with Michal McDonagh on that one, Sinn Féin. Well, uh, Sinn Féin has a long-standing uh, position that uh, we are opposed to the use of uh, the juryless uh, special criminal court, uh, and we have been... Um, also raised uh, critical issues around the Offence Against the State Act. There's nothing new about that. Uh, it was actually in the uh, review of the Offence Against the State Act was included uh, in the Good Friday Agreement, which was endorsed by a referendum North and South in 1998. Uh, the Special Criminal Court has been criticised by the UN Commission on Human Rights, the Irish Council of Civil Liberties, uh, Mary Robinson, and many others over the years. So this, this is not a new issue. 
In terms of the horrific crimes that we've seen uh, in our city in the past few days and over a long number of years, uh, the communities that are uh, most endangered uh, by these uh, shootings and the communities that are most affected by the scourge of drugs are the communities that we represent, working class communities here in Dublin. I was speaking last week uh, to a young mother of two children who was in emergency accommodation in the Regency Hotel uh, and uh, obviously was, uh, their lives and others were endangered. So, you know, we have had um, disgraceful accusations, party political use in the most blatant manner of these horrific killings by certain political parties in an effort to smear and damage Sinn Féin. And I think most ordinary people see through that for what it is. It's a party political game playing with a very, very serious issue. The issue here is Garda resources, the need to restore uh, the, the numbers that were cut by the previous government and this government in terms of Garda numbers, so that they have the resources and they have the intelligence to take on uh, organised crime. And that's absolutely essential for our communities. Okay, uh, Michael, I'm going to ask Paul Clark that question as well. Suffers from an unacceptable level of crime. We need to make sentences more meaningful. There needs to be more guarded recruitment for our streets with a view to having a zero tolerance approach to, towards serious crimes. When I'm elected, I will introduce a bill to classify crime against the elderly as a special category of crime. Okay, Paul. Tommy Brown, your position on the Special Criminal Court. Uh, what Michal um, ha has said and, and, and his uh, reservations in this whole area, but I think uh, we do need a special criminal court. Uh, we need to retain uh, this, um, I mean, it's an emergency almost um, criminal justice system uh, to face, I think, uh, the scourge of, of drug fuel crime. I mean, again, as Michal has said, it's appalling that in recent days, um, you know, homeless children and homeless families uh, were present in the hotel where this um, incredible um, attack and, and near massacre uh, took place. And it does seem to me, obviously, there have been this government and the previous government has repeatedly cut uh, Garda resources, uh, closed uh, st uh, police stations around the country, uh, one of our own stations, uh, a number of our own stations, in fact, uh, the station in Whitehall was closed, uh, Hoth is just a daytime station. Um, there have been, uh, obviously recruitment has started again recently, we do clearly need intelligence-led uh, very, you know, serious policing. But I do think at the end of the day, uh, when, you, when you take the godfathers of, of crime, you need to have a, uh, have a system there where witnesses are fully, uh, if you like, uh, not in danger, and where, where we can put these people uh, away. And we, know, we seem to know journalists, everybody seems to know who these alleged perpetrators are. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, I think we do need uh, that, that emergency uh, criminal uh, system. Okay, and uh, Finney McGrath, you want to get in on this as well? Uh, first of all, I think the response to the horrific gangland crimes and murders, I think, is the practical response has got to be targeted quality policing and intelligence gathering. I don't buy the argument by the government about their, that, they're, that they're going, they have been allowing the resources uh, uh, and service to be provided to the Gardaí, because as, as many people know, uh, a lot of people knew that these particular figure, uh, gangland figures were in the Regency that day and why, I asked the question, why did the Gardaí not know that? And the final thing I'd say on the Special Criminal Court, I, I strongly support the United Nations, the Irish Council for Civil Liberties and Amnesty International on their concerns about this court. The way to tackle 
gangland crime is about prevention and the way to prevent the, the murders and the gun attacks is you have to sit on the people who are directly responsible with good quality policing. Okay, and Aaron O'Riordan on the same question. I, I, I think this goes, I mean, look, we can have a discussion about the South Special Criminal Court and, and we do support its retention, but we have to have a wider debate about the nature of why when somebody gets, you know, shot in a gangland style killing who may be involved in this, why is somebody else just quite happy to step into their place and get involved in the activity they've been involved in. So yes, it's about guard of response and guard of resources. I completely accept that point. But going back to the previous discussion we had about inequality and, and empowerment, I mean, my, my role as, as Minister of Responsibility for, for the National Drug Strategy has really opened my eyes in the fact that we are dealing with this problem all wrong. 70% of the drug convictions we have in our courts at the moment are for possession for personal use. We are spending a huge amount of guard of time and resources tackling those in addiction as opposed to those who are, who are causing and benefiting from this industry. So what I would suggest is that on what I've been advocating for and citywide I've been advocating for is a total change of direction along the lines of the Portuguese model where we interact with those in addiction and with drug use issues through the health sphere and we interact with those who are engaged in this trade in the criminal justice sphere and change that whole approach because you know, there are reasons why young, young people at a particular age will go down the route of criminal behaviour and gang, and, and gang life because they don't get empowerment through education or respect in society and they are hard and tough questions that us as a society have to ask ourselves. It's not just an easy enough to say reopen the Garda station. We had loads of resources in the, in the Celtic Tiger years and there was still gangland crime and murders taking place. Okay, now I'm going to go back to the audience. Uh, Don, I'll come to you now in a moment. Um, go back to the audience for a, another question here. I'd like to ask your view on the fact that patients with psychiatric illnesses are being left in Beaumont A&E for extended periods of time and then to be told that the only bed for admission for them in the country is in County Cavan or Mead or Drogheda and patients are being bussed out of Dublin because the unit in Beaumont Hospital doesn't have sufficient beds or resources. Okay, I'm going to come to John Lyons on that one first. Um, John, what's your view on that? Yeah, like if you look at the, uh, particularly the health budget in the round, but like mental health services in particular, there's been a huge uh, level of cutbacks over the last number of years. Some four billion has been taken out of the health budget in the past seven years. Uh, we've lost some 13,000 uh, beds, uh, according to the INMO. And th the supports that are so badly needed for people who are suffering from uh, temporary mental, and they usually are only temporary uh, mental problems, just out in there. Uh, it's, I think the cuts that were introduced in the 1980s, it took, the health system was still were trying to recover from those cuts when the bank bailout of 2008 came along and we had a new round of cuts. So I think we need a huge investment over the next five years in the health service and mental health supports in particular because it is pretty shameful that I know one particular woman had to bring her daughter who was just in such a bad way to Bowman's A&E department and they spent six hours there and they just went home. They just went home. Uh, they, there was nothing that the A&E department could do for them. There was nowhere to refer them to. I know. Yeah. 
And that's, that's the impact of such drastic reductions in funding to the health years. It did, like, the actual implications of the policies implemented by Fine Gael and Labour, and before them Fianna Fáil and the Green Party, are truly vicious. They really are, the impact they have on people's lives. So over the next period of time, I think we do have an opportunity to restructure our society and our economy so it actually serves the needs of the majority of people in this country, including those who have mental health issues. That you would hope that as the basic, you know, tenant of a decent society is that we, you know, there's a basic level of th uh, threshold below, we, uh, below which we don't let anyone fall. And that when you are in a spot of bother, whether it's you're out of work and you're looking for a job, that you receive uh, a decent welfare payment, or if you're going through some trouble uh, with a mental issue, that the supports are there for you. So I think particularly care in the community will be a huge element of those primary care centres so that they're readily accessible to people in their own localities. But that will require a huge investment and the current crop of politicians belonging to the mainstream parties aren't willing to invest. And they're happy to, to leave people languishing in such awful, awfully difficult situations. So we do need, over the next five years, huge investment. And what People for Profit is proposing is that we have to restore every single cut that has been uh, implemented to the health budget over the next five years. Okay, and that John. does require at can least I, another five years. Yeah, Donna, you can I think come in on that. mentioning yeah. the Green Party in, in, in this government uh, many years ago. We were in one budget where there was some cutbacks, so we made sure that there wasn't cutbacks to education or to health. We were six TDs, you know, in, in, a, in, in, a, in a government. So, you know, um, and, and, and the, the the state of the economy was not down to the Greens because if people had been listening to the Green economics, we wouldn't have had the boom and bust with the property and, and the thing that happened. But, but anyway, but let's go, go back to that. So I go back to the head. Him, yeah. But I had to answer on that because okay. this gentleman to my but right keeps blaming the, the Greens because he obviously feels politically threatened um, by our rise in the polls. But anyway, let's go back to the fact that um, the mental health, I do believe that, and we've launched our mental health policy, and um, we have quite a lot of health professionals and mental health professionals in the Green Party, and it's a big concern of our because, um, you know, I think that mental health is becoming an issue for us all. We've all, all of us at times in our lives are in danger of, 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 of our, our mental health and our well-being. And I think that we need to put structures in. Obviously, they should be there for when you have an emergency situation and the facilities should be there. But we should be looking at the prevention right back at the school, right back at the community. It's talking about, you know, with children having uh, mindfulness in schools, having ways to deal with stress and to live in the present and to live in healthy communities. So we're talking about having, you know, the prevention rather than getting to, there's always going to be times where people have a breakdown, have a crisis that they need to be dealt with, and that should be dealt with as close to your home and as close to your community as possible. And we need to put resources into St. Vincent's. They should be able, if you're in Beaumont, it should be wherever it is close to your home that you should be able to get those services as close as possible to your home. And it's all within our policies. So if you want to look up on the website, we only launched it last week, Mental okay, Health. Donna. Thank Great. you. Um, Donna, um, I'll bring you in a second now. Uh, Michal McDonagh. Uh, yeah, well, going back to the, to the question, um, as you know, the, the, we waited for years for the psychiatric unit to be actually put into Beaumont. Uh, that was originally to be part of the hospital when it was first developed. But, uh, and it, this is very symptomatic of the, prob the, the, the inequity in our health services, mm -hmm. the private clinic took priority. Over that, over that psychiatric unit, and it was many years before it was developed, and now we have this, this situation where it's inadequate for the need that's out there. I think the record uh, under the government for patients on trolleys was 601 on, on one day, and as we know, a big proportion of that is, is in Beaumont. We need huge investment. We also need a complete reform of the health services. We, we heard earlier from the Minister that um, 
you know, what Labour would do in government. What we're going to get if, if, if Fine Gael comes back is a Fine Gael-led government. In the last uh, election, the Labour Party went into the election with a, a policy for universal health insurance based on a state insurance company. Fine Gael went in, universal health insurance based on private insurance. Fine Gael won out. The, the Labour Party dropped their, 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 their policy. The Fine Gael uh, policy had proved a complete failure. It went nowhere. So for the last number of years, we've had no policy, no health policy. It's just trundled along under the totally inequitable two-tier system, starved of, of uh, personnel. And as I said earlier, in terms of compounding these crises, what has happened is the health crisis has been compounded. I have met people on the doorsteps, healthcare workers, who said that we need to increase the investment in terms of employment of nurses, doctors, other health professionals. But the difficulty is now, the chaos is so bad in our hospital system that people who have emigrated to work in England, nurses and work in England, uh, don't want to wish to come back because the situation is so bad. So we're going to need a real concerted attempt to rebuild our health services. Okay, Penny, I'm going to yeah, come... I, yeah, just going to come in on the uh, mental health. Just give me one second, I want to bring... Um, the government side in on this just okay, for a moment. We've had a, a few voices from the other side there. So yeah, I'm, 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 I'm first, yeah, I'm, the, I'm the only government voice who bothered to show up, so I get to answer all the questions. Um, um, I, you know, it's, it's easy to point at, uh, at, at problems and not offer solutions. I'll give you a very practical solution to the A&E problem in Beaumont. Now, I'm not somebody who just delivers, you know, issues press releases about how terrible things are. I actually went in and met the senior management team of Beaumont Hospital twice. Uh, I visited the A&E on a number of occasions over the last number of years. I brought Liam Duffy and his senior management team to meet Brendan Howland a number of months ago because he has a 45 million euro plan for a new A&E in Beaumont. The A&E in Beaumont is not safe. Anybody who has been in it knows it's not safe. And there is issues around staffing, there is issues around the demographic of the age profile of people who live around Beaumont Hospitals is quite elderly, so that has an impact on it as well. There's an issue around community beds, there's an issue of the capacity for nursing homes to be able to do uh, certain uh, minor procedures in their own facility as well and not be sending people up in ambulance up to the A&E. But fundamentally, there's a, there's, there's a physical problem. And they have an initial 20 million and a, and, a, and a maximum 45 million plan, which they have handed to Brendan Howland, which he is willing to commit to as, when, when we get back into government to roll it out. Because there are, there are hospitals around the country who are, have been built since Beaumont was built, who have all said, well, we don't want to make the same mistakes that Beaumont made. So I, I understand absolutely where you're coming from, from the mental health perspective, uh, in terms of, of, of not feeling at ease in, in Obama and &E. but fundamentally, when you're trying to fix something, the responsibility you have as a public representative is to speak to those who know intimately what the issue is and to find a solution. They have a solution. It's going to cost 45 million euro, but we're actually now in a position, because of the economic recovery, to de deliver on things like that. And that's what I want to do in the last next number of years. Yeah. It's not going to change the situation for those people with mental health illnesses that need to be admitted to hospital and there's yeah. insufficient beds for them. Yeah, so what we, yeah, exactly. So if we, if we manage to separate the issues out, then we'll have a better, better capacity, a better ability to, to solve the problem long term. Okay, finally on this question. Uh, can I just make three points in relation to the whole mental health issue and also the issue of beds and trolleys? First of all, I, I, a mental health uh, issue is a very important uh, priority issue for me because 
Outside the issue of beds and services, the human issue is that we're losing a, a lot of quality uh, people to Irish society, and that, that should be said. The second thing is, a year ago I visited uh, Bowman Trolley, uh, Bowman Hospital, and walked the, 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 the A&E and talked to the staff, frontline services, nurses, uh, consultants, and I was putting this point to all of them over the two-hour walkabout about the beds. And they were saying they needed, and the, their immediate need was in the region of 80 beds. Now, the, in the meantime, we went back to the minister, and the minister, uh, and Aon can confirm this later on, has offered, I think it's 30 beds. So the bottom line is, we need to plug that gap in the short term, 80 beds. And it's not a huge amount of beds when you look at the figures and the national figure. And the other issue is, in relation to the, uh, uh, the, the Bowman's A&E, the plan, the 45 million plan. Yes, we, we all should support that, because that's something that needs to be done, uh, and needs to be done very quickly. And again, we shouldn't be kind of beating ourselves up about the, the figures. The figures is 45 million. If you look at the amount of money out there that's often wasted in the health services, that 45 million would have a major impact to all the people and particularly the patients. Okay, and um, we're going to go back to the audience now for uh, another question. Good evening, candidates. Uh, I'm asking a question on the disability front here. Uh, I want to ask about the... 1871 Lunacy Act, the Marriage of Lunatics Act. In 1993, the Criminal Law Sexual Offences Act decriminalised homosexual acts. Section 5 of that uh, uh, act, any, any person, sorry, any act of sexual intercourse involving a mentally impaired person is a criminal offence. I have a 22-year-old son, six-foot handsome. Under the laws of this country at, at, at this present time, if my son gets married in the morning and makes love to his wife, he is a criminal. The assisted, the new act that's coming in still deems my son a criminal. We danced around Dublin Castle for our friends, our gay friends. People with intellectual disabilities in this country have been forgotten about. There are 749 people with intellectual disabilities in your ward at the moment. Multiply that by their families by four or five. That's how many votes you are going to lose by not dealing with this problem. Okay, we'll, we'll Could ask, I have your views? On we'll that? ask the politicians their views on that. And um, Finney, you spoke last there, so we'll come to you now in a moment. So um, Michael O'Brien, your, your view on that question. Well, the very act that you quoted at the outset I mean, it says it all, the 1871 uh, Lunacy Act, in terms of how people with disabilities were regarded by effectively Victorian uh, society and how we haven't actually fully... Yeah. I'll talk about the, the origins of the law, but I agree with... Look at, to cut to the chase, I agree where I think uh, people with disabilities have an entitlement uh, to a sex life and, and to their sexuality the, the way the rest of society uh, does. Uh, once, you know, the professions are satisfied that it's consensual, that we're not dealing with vulnerable adults being exploited, which obviously we're not in, in the situation that you describe. I think it, that there's a just cause there that has to be remedied by the law. Absolutely agree with you. 
Okay, uh, Paul Clark, can I get your view on that? It's pretty shocking. I'm, I'm going to look into this. Uh, yeah, it absolutely shouldn't be going on at all. And yeah, it's just very surprising to hear that. And thanks for sharing it with us. Tommy Brown? Uh, yes, I think when the assisted decision-making bill uh, was proceeding through the Oireachtas, a, a number of deputies and senators you know, raised the whole area. Uh, obviously, like we do meet um, uh, couples with disability, uh, with intellectual disability, and uh, you know, there were, obviously we've worked to try and provide uh, supportive housing uh, and, and you know, other social frameworks for them. So, I mean, I think you've identified again. There, there are so many things, I suppose. Um, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a fundamental issue of equality. Uh, at times, I suppose, the outgoing government they would have, um, I suppose, tried to pride themselves uh, that they, they, you know, they've addressed some very fundamental issues of, 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 um, of inequality. But this is another area, I think, where they, where they failed really to, to, to seize the moment and to have either amended that bill in such a way as to, you know, it, yeah, to decriminalise, yeah, and to, and to, and to achieve that. Uh, so, I mean, I think it is clearly something that the, the 32nd doll should deal with urgently. And Donna Cooney, your position on the Green Party, would you deal with this in government? Uh, yes, um, I think we would have to be uh, altered. I mean, um, it would be ridiculous that you'd have a, a criminal once that they were consent, once they were, you know, consenting adults. Um, that I do think that um, uh, we do have the child protection bill that takes in vulnerable adults as well. So I think that does protect a situation where a vulnerable adult may be taken advantage of, and that has happened um, in, in the past, as we've seen in people that have been in care. So I think once that is strengthened and we do have um, the protection of vulnerable adults. I would definitely see that that uh, legislation would be altered. Okay, I want to come to the Minister Responsibility for Equality. That's true. Um, yeah, and I actually went to the play which was in Liberty Hall that outlined the issue. I was inclusion and were involved. It was actually a fantastic piece of work and it really opened my eyes to the issue at hand. Uh, I'm in agreement with you. There are a number of things we have to, to drive through in order to be able to sign the UN Convention of, of Rights for People with Disabilities, and one of them was, was the Capacity Bill. Um, I, would ex I, I would have sympathy with Michael's point about making absolutely sure that we're not dealing here, or, or that we're not, um, you know, allowing some vulnerable people to be exploited, but I don't think that's in any I think we can do that probably in, in, in legislation, as, you, as you've outlined. And um, one of the things, I just the final point to make is that one of the things that I managed to, to get over the line was the comprehensive employment strategy for people with disabilities, which I think is, 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 is an important piece of work as well. But Okay, well look, it's, it's, it's a strategy, it wasn't there, it's there now, the targets uh, uh, are in place and Fergus Finley has... Uh, I know... Nothing. Okay. And you just won't give them a job. Well, look, in terms, look, the strategy is very clear. 3%, don't, on, you don't but, even touch it. But the, 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 the reality of what we tried to do with the employment strategy was to give a level of independence to Fergus Finlay to drive those targets, to improve those targets, and also to, um, to, to have an oversight mechanism over so that it's not, you know... Uh, it's forgotten. It's, 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 no, it's not forgotten, exactly. So, hold on, but the, there wasn't an employment strategy before, I, 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 you know, I became Minister of State, there yeah, is yeah, now. And Mr. Bruton was at my door the other night, he didn't even know. Well, can I, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I say this honestly to you, right? Yes. This strategy shouldn't be in the Department of Justice. It should be in the Department of, of Employment. But they didn't... Yeah, but, but, but hold on. The problem was they didn't want it. So either we took it or it didn't happen. And that's why we took it. Okay, bring Finian McGrath in on this as well. First of all, I, I strongly agree with, uh, that we need 
to end discrimination for people with, uh, with in, in this case, with intellectual disabilities. And I'm also speaking of a, as a parent of a daughter with Down syndrome, which incidentally, uh, she has a boyfriend as well, Ross. Kleena, as my daughter's name, has a boyfriend with Ross who also has Down syndrome, and they're in a relationship. So I wouldn't tolerate any discrimination in relation to my daughter. As a legislator, I strongly support the, the, the decriminalisation uh, and I strongly support your views on that issue. We also though need to be uh, bigger and broader uh, about the whole equality issue again. Uh, my, my, we need to ensure in, in relation to employment or in relation to respite and care services that these services are put in place because only this week I had parents from Michael's house and Prosper Fingal on to, on to me about huge cuts in the services over the next couple of weeks and uh, 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 having major problems for, ch for children and adults getting places. So what I'd say is we need to end the discrimination, but we also need to build a more inclusive society. Michal McDonagh, if uh, Sinn Féin are in uh, the government next time, will you deal with this? Yeah, and I, I mean, I commend uh, the speaker for raising the issue. Uh, it's an equality issue, plain and simple. Uh, no form of discrimination should be, should be tolerated, uh, particularly for people with disabilities. Uh, we see too many uh, elements of that still exist in, in our society, and this one also needs to be dealt with. And I would look forward to, to working uh, with people in the sector uh, to, on this issue. And finally, on this question, we'll have uh, got through all the candidates on this. Uh, John Lyons. Yes, and uh, thanks to the Speaker. It's not often raised as an issue, uh, to be honest, but I'm happy to say that People Before Profit is calling for the immediate ratification of the United Nations Conventions on the Rights of People with Disabilities without change and alter all relevant legislation in accordance with the UNCRPD, because I do think uh, the legislation needs to reflect what I hope we are moving towards, which is a more inclusive society that does, I think, uh, provide the opportunities for people, uh, both uh, able and disabled, to live full lives, including their sexual lives, and the, the ability to work. So uh, I commend you for raising it, because it's not often raised uh, brought as an issue, but I'm happy to say that People for Profit is developing uh, policy on disability. It's, it's a newish policy, um, but it's something that we hope to develop uh, down the line with the more experience and the more uh, knowledge and the more uh, connection we get with people who are uh, living uh, and have family members with uh, disabilities. Okay, John Lyons there from People Before Profit. Okay, we'll come back to the audience just a moment. Lots of uh, questions coming in on uh, the text line and on the phone. 867-1190 is the phone number if you want to give us a call with a question or you can text 87 or we're open on Twitter at Near FM. Now there's a couple of specific questions for specific candidates which I'm going to run through that have come in on the text line. We'll come back to the audience then. Uh, one for the, um, the anti- Austerity Alliance candidate. If you are to be in a position of responsibility after the next election, I'm going to give this to Councillor Michael O'Brien. So if you're in a position of responsibility after the next election and you introduce a charge or a tax that I don't agree with, do I have the option of not paying that tax or charge? And uh, if I, what, should, what would be the repercussions if I don't pay it? Well, I, I think the only people that would have a beef with the type of uh, taxes or charges that I'm in favour of in the aftermath of an election would, you're talking about the, the super rich in society, the corporations, and I think, you know, they are very light on their feet uh, with their funds. Uh, we know what the Googles and the Starbucks get up to and so on, so I'm in favour of every single measure uh, at our disposal to, to get the money that we need off that minority in society, capital controls, uh, you name it, you know, so, yeah, there's, there's a class division in society, I know which side I stand on, about the 
issues like the water charges and, and other unjust taxes and then the taxes and charges that we do need on the, on the rich and powerful. So, uh, I hope that answers Peter in Kilbarrick's um, <laughs> uh, Peter Kilbarrick. <laughs> um, uh, one for John Lyons um, is how can John Lyons claim Ireland is a place in which to live? Uh, the uh, caller wants to know where is his utopia, his corruption-free country which is absolutely... Um, I can't, uh, absolute equality for all. Sorry, I can't read the writing. Okay, well, I think most people uh, that I know, just to refer to the last question, have, uh, I think the, you know, the idea that we are living, I stand to it, you just can't, I'm here to, I hope, do a, a good job, an honest job, and reflect the realities of people's lives out there. Uh, and the way I see it, uh, there are some good things in life. People get on with their lives. They rear their families, they get them through school, hopefully into college and uh, into a good job. But that's becoming increasingly difficult. People's basic needs are, are you know, becoming increasingly difficult uh, to, you know, for government uh, because of government inaction. So I actually think if you look at it, third level fees now mean that for vast swathes of people, uh, including myself, I could only have gone to third level college because there was maintenance grants and there was some state assistance. Um, that's now becoming more difficult for uh, middle and low income families. So, you know, the quality of education you get determines the kind of life you're going to lead. So that's a pretty shameful situation. The health crisis that we currently have, we have Bowman Hospital in this area. My mother uh, spends, unfortunately, uh, she, you know, visits the A&E department pre pretty regularly, as do a lot of people. Uh, she has, you know, a certain illness, which means that she ends up over there and she sits on a chair for two or three days. Um, because there's no beds upstairs in the, the other four wards. I think that's pretty shameful, and it's not just because she's my mother. She's uh, reflective of hundreds of thousands of people right across the 26 counties. Uh, you look again at the 5,000 people currently homeless in the city of Dublin, 2,000 of them children. That's pretty <coughs> shocking. And I think that, you know, the fact that we have the resources, the wealth is there, we just don't have the political will to go after it, to actually have a fair progressive taxation system. Yeah. You've, you've listed out all the things you've Yes, you that's why it's shameful. Where, where, where is the country that is utopia? Where is the... Where's the country that's utopia, where it's everybody's equal? That was the question. Okay, well, I actually just think what I've seen over the last couple of years are people, friends, neighbours, family members coming out, blocking the installation of water meters from occurring, fighting the introduction of water charges. I think that's the seeds of a better society right okay. there. I don't fully get the questioner's okay. Uh, okay. wording of the Can, question, I, let's I, just say. I, it's a bit unclear. Okay, a comment um, that's in on the text line, maybe um, see if somebody would like to take it up. Dublin North East, uh, or North Central, as they were, Dublin Bay North now, uh, has never elected a female candidate, which uh, from memory is probably right, unless somebody wants to disagree. Um, Central had many years ago, Dublin North East has never. Never. Yeah. Um, Aidan, do you want to take that? Uh, one of the things that we did manage to do, and, and, and some parties, not all, ha have had difficulties with the gender quota idea, but look, we, ha we have a parliament which has 87% uh, male, and I think it's, on one level, it's imp absolutely important uh, to say that when you have societies like, you know, the, the Nordic countries, which have very progressive legislation in terms of, you know, repeal the age amendment was mentioned earlier, childcare, uh, you know, the issue of prostitution or other gender equality issues, they come from a, a balanced parliament, which is a large proportion of, of females in it. Many people have mentioned 1916 rising. The first three words of the text of the proclamation, Irish men, Irish women. 
Now, the gender quota legislation brought in, there was a, a court case against it recently, and thankfully it, it, it was thrown out. We have to be imaginative, and we have to exhaust as many uh, you know, avenues we can have in order to have more female participation. But also, it's also important to elect feminists, not just, and feminists can be men and they can be women. There are some very, you know, there are some female politicians who are very regressive in their views uh, of the Eighth Amendment, I might suggest. So it's, it's also to look, to look beyond the, uh, just the gender issue, but certainly we need a more balanced parliament. Okay. And only two female candidates this time, I think? Oh, no. Three? Three, three is it? In terms okay. of oh, in women? Term, in terms of three in this uh, situation. Oh, no, there's five women, right, as far as I can see so far. Okay, we'll, we'll check that. Say, yeah. We'll check um, that. Yeah, but I have to come to you, Donna. I've noticed because I thought there's five seats if they want to vote five women in to make up for the fact that there's been so few. I think it might redress the gender balance for a while. And uh, Let's, let's give, give the women a, a chance to show that we can make a difference. And I'm, that's very non-party because I think there's one from probably most parties. Um, so I, I just, I think that there shouldn't be parties that are just having token women, but I think my, my, um, my, um, Great grand aunt was one of the people that were involved in the in the Easter Rising, uh, Nurse Elizabeth O'Farrell, and I think she was very disillusioned because you know the proclamation did include women. Women took a very active role in, in 1916, and we see now you know in the centenary of 2016 that we have the lowest percentage of women in our parliament. And it's not just um, because parties don't select women; it's because a lot of women they don't have the they don't have the resources, they don't have the money to pay for their elections. Um, they they're very very active at a community level. They're very active, uh, and that doesn't transcend then into actually being elected. And I think it's because our electoral system doesn't suit women, and it doesn't not just suit women, it doesn't suit uh, anything more than often the middle class people and the educated people. Um, so I think we need to change our electoral system so that it's more democratic. Uh, we need to um, have, I mean, a lot of uh, people don't necessarily want to have to go out there, stick their faces on posters all around the place, you know, put their, 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 their profile out there in order to be knocked down. So um, I think a system where we have partially a list system as well would enable more women and then the R's and things to be changed as well and make it, you know, um, a, a, a system, uh, make it a more democratic system. So I think we need to radically change um, the whole um, political system. We, we will check how many candidates have actually uh, put their names forward. I mean, they, it only closed today, this evening anyway. So um, do you tomorrow, think someone haven't put the, what tomorrow. Is their Okay, a few more hours, maybe some more women will put their names forward. John, do you, do you want to say something on yeah, that? Well, just uh, on this point, like if you look at the, the water charge movement in particular, Declan, over the last uh, two years, it's been mainly driven by uh, women on the ground, uh, mothers uh, who, who actually know what it's like to run a house. Uh, and they see that water is such a basic need to, to run the house, to cook the food, to wash the children. And the, the women have been the backbone of the water charge movement. So women are involved in political activity. It's not reflected in our parliament because, as uh, the previous speaker has said, there are many impediments, uh, financial costs. But just to get on to uh, what the, the minister said in relation to encouraging more women, I don't know how you're going to get uh, many more working class women uh, to encourage them into the political system if you're you know, cutting them and attacking them budget after budget on, you know, you, you've reduced the one family uh, pa uh, parent payment, uh, you've gone after them, single mothers in particular, the most socially, uh, economically disadvantaged sector, the Labour Party, led by a woman, has gone after them. 
It's pretty shameful. So I don't know where he's coming from there. But women have been the, the backbone of the resistance over the last number of years. Okay. But that is not reflected in the political system. So we do need to, you know, look at okay. childcare costs, developing a national system of creches and affordable childcare, so as to facilitate uh, more women to actually engage in the political system. Okay. And uh, Paul Sark, I'd like to get a view from you on that. Yeah, yeah or, so I was actually going to bring up the jobs issue. Cause, and well, we'll come back to that in a minute. Okay. okay. Um, just before we finish this question, I'll bring in um, Michal McDonagh. Yeah, well, as you say, um, Dublin North Central, Dublin North East never elected a woman to, to date. Um, there's an opportunity for the electorate to make a record and this time by electing a woman. Uh, and, I, and I would hope it's uh, Denise Mitchell, the, the Sinn Féin candidate, along with myself, uh, and to elect two Sinn Féin TDs. But to go back to the, um, to the question, the utopia question, um, I think it's not a question of whether a utopia exists. I think it's a question of uh, whether we can learn from the best practice and, and the most progressive practice in other countries, both in Europe and around the world, where uh, they have striven for equality and they have, for example, a, a much better and fairer health system or a better education system. And this can be done. So it's there all over the world and it's also there in the ideas of people who went before us, like Connolly, who I mentioned earlier, and Pierce and so on, and people who are progressive and who have, whose legacy has, has been betrayed by successive governments. Okay. So it's not a case that there's a utopia there, but I think the models are there for us to improve. Okay. And I um, just want to bring in, we're going to come back to the audience now and take some questions, but I just want to bring in one member of the audience who wants to mention something specifically on just that question we've been talking about. Yeah. I just wanted to comment on the lack of gender balance in, in the uh, parties. And can I just say that there's no point in women... And my first identity is that of a feminist, which is equality between women and men. There's no, par, no point in women attaching themselves to parties which are part of a rotten uh, political system. They need to attach themselves to parties like the Anti-Austerity Alliance and People Before Profit. Okay, now we're coming back to take... Uh, we're, sorry, Donna, we're going to come and take a question now from the audience again. Good evening. Um, okay, okay, we'll, we'll leave that one there. Um, Donna? According to a recent uh, Irish Times article, rents in around the country have risen by 9% over the last year. In this, in this constituency, in Dublin 17, they've risen by 17%, and in Dublin 5, they've risen by 10%. Currently, to rent a one-bedroom apartment in Dublin 17, it will cost you €989. Euro. That's on average. That's not for something that's in a livable condition. Now, what do you think is the best way forward for pro pro like providing a good rental system? And I'm going to give you two options here. Do you think it's better that we tightly control the rental system, which as a result could possibly quash entrepreneurship and somebody who maybe would buy property as an investment, which many people do who are not tycoons? Or do you think that we should allow it to develop? Do you think it should be something that's controlled, basically? Okay, I'll, I'll try and come to everybody briefly on this one. I'm going to start with Tommy Bruin on this one here. Um, do you think it should be controlled, Tommy? Because we had a huge debate about rent certainty, as you know, with Minister Kelly. Uh, it went on and on and on. And it was a classic issue, I think, on, on what the problem was with the outgoing government. Um, Kelly and his colleagues seem to be saying that uh, we should do something fairly dramatic about controlling rents. 
But when you looked at it then, uh, the Fine Gael party in particular, uh, uh, actually quite a proportion of whom were themselves in the Dáil, were themselves landlords, basically said no. Um, and, and at the end of the day, we came up with a very insipid move. Uh, I, I do believe uh, a well-controlled, well-regulated uh, rental market, it does need, um, it does, it does need uh, upper limit caps and, and for periods, and I, I don't think that would destroy the provision of further renting. Now, the other big side to it, of course, is that we've had no housing supply, that for uh, last year, for example, Fingal County Council built three houses like one of the biggest county councils in the country, the actual council uh, built three actual houses. They're planning, or they're in the process, I think, of, of building 15 more. Uh, I mean, quite clearly, as we know, as I think John and others said, from our own housing list, like we could do it an extra Clare Hall, uh, an extra Donamede uh, tomorrow uh, to try and meet the problem in our society. So I do think uh, we need to go well beyond the insipid, uh, kind of nonsensical, so-called rent uh, certainty of hopefully uh, a man who won't be Minister for the Environment uh, much longer than the next two weeks uh, and get in a proper system of rent regulation. For example, Holland, Germany, many of our EU partners have well-regulated uh, and capped uh, rental markets. Okay, um, Paul Clark, Independent. Uh, many households are also struggling to pay their rent or mortgage each month. Uh, the two-year rent freeze is just pushing the problem down the road. I would like to see rent control, rent certainly introduced, with tendencies to protect people from rapidly rising rents with limited security of tenure. The limit cap on rents supplement is too low for the current rental market. We uh, urgent, urgently need an increase in rent supplement levels to address the issues in the private rented sector. People who are long-term homeless must be treated as a special category and enabled to avail of higher maximum rent limits. Community welfare officers need clear guidance on the use of discretion and they need to be empowered to actually use this discretion when there is a risk of homelessness or undue hardship. Over 500 young people are trapped in emergency homeless accommodation with a social welfare rate too low to provide them with a proper home. There are, they are unable to get a job or training because they are homeless. Cuts to welfare payments for young people, especially those who are homeless or at risk of homeless, must be reversed. Finian McGrath, I want to bring in you next there on this. Yeah. On, the, on the particular housing issue, I think what we have to do, and I, I do accept that the, the government has accepted that we have a, a huge crisis, but they need to act on the talk. I mean, they're talking about we need to build more social housing, number one. Number two is we need more affordable housing for people who want to buy their own homes. But in the meantime as well, we need to support those families uh, that are renting at the moment because most of the rents, they're not unable to pay for them. So they're the three sensible immediate options. But long term, we have to build, we have to have more of a supply, build more housing. We have to invest in it. We inv in the 30s and 40s and 50s, when we had less money and less wealth in this country, we built thousands of houses. So that's the example. Let's get on with the job and stop talking about it. Okay, Michael O'Brien, Anti-Austerity Alliance. Um, is rent control the right uh, thing to do? Absolutely, but what's employed by rent control, because there's a buzzword of rent certainty, which is not quite the same thing. Rent certainty effectively means leaving rents as they are, but maybe restricting the rise over the, the course of the coming years. But that's not really what we need. Effectively, the rent control we need means rent reductions, particularly in the case of Dublin. And I just want to kind of challenge one uh, part of the question, the way it was formulated. I do not think that landlordism is an example of entrepreneurship, you know. I think you're trying to redefine uh, the dictionary there, far from it. Look, it used to be uncontested 
suggested in, in Irish society that to be in private rented accommodation was not a desirable place to be and that, it, you, know, that you had to progress either into a, your own home or into a social housing from uh, the local authority. But this government affected a shift uh, in thinking on that. And basically, uh, Alan Kelly's 2020 vision, which he set out December, I think the year before last, when at that stage there was only 100,000 on the allocations list across the state, he, basically his objective was that 75% of those people with a housing need would have that need met by private landlordism through the likes of the housing assistance payment and so on. And particularly in the case of Ireland, where you have an absence of rent control, that's an absolute another disaster. Landlords generally are only in it for one thing, for profit. We basically need a massive social house building program, the likes of which we haven't seen in 40 years uh, when you had uh, the, the building uh, programs of Atala, Clondalk and Blanchestown. But by the way, those building programs came on foot of a housing action uh, a protest movement from the late 60s and early 70s. That's what we got to recreate if we're going to get the delivery of housing that we need uh, to solve our crisis. And um, Aidan O'Reardon, um, control versus certainty, um, that debate, that, that uh, comment. Yeah, well, there's, there's, there's actually, a, a, similar to, to, to the crime discussion we had earlier, there's actually a wider kind of societal discussion we need to have here as well about the nature of Irish society and this, this kind of obsession we have, which is unusual in the European context, about home ownership. And the obsession we have with home ownership, and I own a house myself in Ballybuck, is 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 based around it does lead to kind of social division because people want to defend their 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 asset and that means that sometimes kind of socially progressive things such as you know treatment centers or or social housing developments or, or halting sites people sometimes you know react against that i would say in terms of what michael has said in terms of social housing build that is the solution um for those who, who, who wants, you know, to have sustainable, you know, living. And I think we have to get away from this idea that, that public housing or social housing in some way, you know, undesirable. We do have a 3.8 billion package that has been announced. It hasn't been seen to deliver yet because it takes time to, to build these things. We don't want to, to make the mistakes of the past in building communities or, 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 or building large-scale, dense housing stock which, which you know, won't have a community fields them and, and create problems of the, uh, of the future. There has been you know, sites identified by Dublin City Council, for example, not very far from here in, in, in Oscar Trainer Road and other places, but again, you have to be ensured that the surrounding community are going to be knitted into that. So look, there's a number of things here in terms of the immediacy of the problem that we have in terms of our homelessness and homeless lists. But we also have to talk about how you know, long term we can have communities that are at ease with each other. I would have sympathy very much what Michael has just said again, he's probably going to be horrified to hear this. In, in terms of landlordism, we built, we, we, we as a society, as a, uh, the political system, based our social housing provision around landlordism. Uh, in terms of rent allowance for 15 years. It's not sustainable, it's not good, and it, it, it doesn't provide long-term solutions for, for individuals or for families. And I think we have to move away from that, you know? Sorry, it's not so much that I'm referring to social housing. I'm mid-20s, yeah. I have a full-time job, I work 40 hours a week, I earn more than minimum wage, I'm in a very comfortable position in my life. I'm not at risk of homelessness. So okay. social housing is not something that's particularly in, in the sphere of, of, of my like, consideration. What I'm saying is that for me and most of my colleagues, upwards of 50% of our paycheck is rent. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, but my but my wider now, point is in that in terms of disposable income, we, we are we are trying to solve the social housing list from the same stock, though. That's the problem. You see what I mean? We, we're trying to we're trying, trying to solve the same so, social housing list and the rental sector yeah. with the we same also, stock. As you say, we okay. have a fascination with okay, buying and owning property. My generation have been robbed of that privilege, mm. completely and utterly robbed. Because when we have to pay a thousand euro for rent, we cannot get together the thirty percent deposit that's required. Okay. So we've been robbed of the privilege that the older generations have. Okay, I want to bring in uh, John Lyons on this first, and I'll come back to yeah. Michal then. I'm glad the, the questioner mentioned the figure of uh, a lot of people are paying over 50% of their monthly income on rent, but I think we need to step back and actually look at this. Uh, it's a wider issue at, like in relation to housing. Housing isn't a commodity, it's a need, it's a basic requirement. And so, to my mind, we actually need to stop talking about social housing. I think we need to radically uh, alter our views and think of it as public housing. I think we need to alter the income earnings threshold at which people can actually apply for public housing. And for instance, one thing we could do, and I, I actually brought a copy because I had a feeling somebody was going to bring rent up. I have the Dublin City Council Housing Land Initiative Feasibility Study in my hand here. 42 acres of prime land down the road at the Oscar Trainer site there, Kulock Lane. And Dublin City Council are preparing to hand over 80% of that to the private market for developers, for developers to uh, develop it and sell it on the houses and apartments uh, to the mortgage market. Uh, and that, to my mind, is pretty shameful when there's 6,000 people on the housing waitlist in Area B in uh, Dublin North East. So I think we need to actually step back and look at what we can do. Uh, I think housing should be provided by the state. That's not a bad thing. I think people have a bad impression of local authority housing because I'll tell you, my two years as a councillor, uh, Dublin City Council is a pretty, pretty terrible landlord. They, they do not uh, carry out repairs. They leave people living in awful conditions. And why is that? Because they want to disincentivize people, uh, you know, divest them of the notion that actually they, you know, they could actually have a stable home, raise their family in local authority housing. Because in the past, that's what many families did. And, in, and just to, to counter the point, it is not in the Irish DNA that we are property owning. It's direct government policy began by the Cumann Gael government in 1922 with W.T. Cosgrave that they developed housing policy towards the mortgage market and currently that means that we have just 10% of the housing stock is social housing whereas in the Netherlands it's up at 33%. So we need a, a major discussion about this. I want to bring in uh, finally on this one and we move on to another question then. Uh, Michal McDonagh on... Uh, Donna, hold on one second now. Um, Michal, if you want to come in yeah, on that well, one, please. To get, to get back to the original question, we, we certainly do need uh, rent control. We need enhanced uh, rights for tenants. Uh, we also need to increase the rent supplement to assist people uh, in the interim. Uh, and, of course, the key to all this is supply. We need to increase the supply. Um, we, we do have people uh, living in fear in terms of rent uh, rises. And, and I have advised people, and we advise constantly to people, is not to panic, because people are actually panicking because of the prospect of rent rises. Many of those people are ending up in homeless uh, accommodation uh, and that needs, to, that needs to, to be stopped. I only spoke to somebody yesterday uh, and uh, a friend of theirs is in a, a, a development with 15 uh, units which are being rented out and the developer has now said that uh, they, they will either face a massive rent rise, I think doubling of the rent, or it's going to be sold from under them. So we need protection for those people, enhanced protection, and above all, we need to increase supply. Now, uh, John mentioned the, the development here uh, in Coolock and Oscar Trainer Road. The, the, we on Dublin City Council 
uh, attempted to increase the proportion, and, and hopefully we will increase the proportion of uh, social housing in that development. But to the extent that we wanted to, to increase it, we were told by the council officials that uh, government has placed uh, a, a cap on the amount of social housing that could be built in terms of spending by the local authority. And this goes back to government policy. There is a, a bias against social and affordable housing, and particularly against housing uh, built and provided and maintained by the local authorities. They want to move to private landlords, they want to move to, to housing agencies, and away from the tried and trusted method of providing housing, which is local authorities, councils, providing decent homes for people who need them. Okay, I need to move on now for my question. I, I would like to speak on housing because you did say you bring everybody in. Just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I can't speak about crime or housing. Uh, can, well, you haven't given, everybody. you okay. haven't, you've left yeah. other people waffle on for ages and you've stopped me in my track normally after okay. a couple of sentences. Very briefly. I, very yeah, briefly. Very brief. I have very to be very brief where they okay. were able to waffle on no, for ages. I, typical, I, typical. I okay. fair to everybody's I know you so haven't briefly. been fair, but uh, let me say the Green Party have very uh, innovative solutions to housing. I do believe that you do need to to um, have a regulation of the, of, of the um, rental sector, you do need to have security of tenure for people so that if they do choose to use rental accommodation that they can raise their families in that and can have a lease for 20, 30 years, which is quite common in Europe. At the same time, as I said in my thing, I think it should be within our constitution that you have, and I would have a referendum to make sure that you have a right to housing in our constitution. And I think that there needs to be various means of... We went around and we looked at all the vacant sites that there are. There are an awful lot of vacant sites and to have homeless people and having to pay for uh, hotels for them to live in, in temporary accommodation whilst we have these vacant sites is ridiculous. We need more housing cooperatives. We need innovative solutions where people can um, uh, uh, build, their, build their own housing, take over. Um, there's vacant factories, there's brownfield sites all around this place. There's living over houses. We have a dead city in the evening, you know, where other cities would be vibrant, full of people living over the, over the shops. So we, if a urge anybody to look up our website and see we've always had a very strong um, um, housing policy, very innovative solution. We've a lot of architects and various okay, uh, housing experts within Thank the Green Party. Now, we're moving on to the next question and we have a question in the, in the back row here. Yeah, well, for starters, I'd like to uh, congratulate the outgoing government for uh, reducing unemployment, especially through emigration of doctors, guards, teachers, right? And also for removing people off the social welfare uh, listing, removing them off the dole. That's a great way to get the figures down. Congratulations. Congratulations to the government for pandering to the financial institutions, to banks, and for setting up that wonderful animal called Irish Water, and bringing in legislation that makes Irish Water, allows Irish Water to dip into people's pensions, and wages so that they can get paid. But yet they were unable to bring in legislation to stop well-paid former Taoiseach ministers and deputies from getting an increase of thousands on their pension. A pension that they don't have to wait to 65 or 66 or 67 to get. They can get the pension after five years. When are, is Oroctus Naheran, both Senator and Dáil, going to bring in, you can get your pension all right, lads, one pension only, when you reach standard pension age, no sooner. 
Okay, I'm, I, we'll take that just as a, as a comment uh, and we'll move on to the next question. Is there another question in the, in the back row there? Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to get back to the ball mounting. Who was, who was responsible for privatising the phones for the blood testing? So That's one. I, I was, I got, I'm, I'm on morphine and I have to go up to Bowman every so often. Now, I'm, for, I'm glad it doesn't affect me. But I was up there before Christmas and a man came in, an elderly man came in and handed in his, I want to make a blood test, I'm, I'm, have a blood test. The girl said, I'm very sorry, I can't take it off you. These phones are privatised, you'll have to phone. And if you don't phone between half ten and half twelve, after that, it's two euro five for the phone. And if you use a mobile phone, it's, it's, it's dearer. And the girl said to me, I'm turning away elderly people who said they can't get through on that phone. Now, that, that, I think that's a disgrace. But nobody seems to know who private... It's just the start of privatising the hospitals. A friend of mine went up to the, to, to the Mara Hospital. He, he's a third civil servant. He was able to walk in and have all his tests done within four hours. While there's 30 people in the, in the building next door sitting on chairs. Okay, well, we'll, 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 um, we'll ask one, the group. We'll one other comment. Yep. David Beggs was given 20,000 20 20, a week on a pension board by John Burton. And do you know what he said? It's not a pot of gold, it's only 20,000. That's two years of my pension. Okay. And I'm only entitled to a government pension. Okay, I'm going to ask Tommy Brown for a comment on that. Is it right that the phones will be privatised in Bowman? No, I think it's outrageous. Uh, I, I know, I think, uh, I think uh, somebody brought that to my attention and, and I did get on to uh, uh, Minister Bradker, um, uh, you know, about it. I mean, it seems to be a parts of the, of the health service being sort of steadily uh, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, privatised, yeah. And uh, just the last comment, uh, comment you made there uh, about, I mean, I think the, uh, I, w I was disappointed that uh, uh, David Begg, who had been this, you know, Secretary of the Irish Congress of Trade Unions, that he made such, uh, an, you know, an amazing, extraordinary comment uh, about uh, the sum of, you know, 20,000 euro, uh, a very significant uh, payment for, for doing that particular job. Um, and, and also, of course, the... the yeah, but also also the fact that the general rules in relation to uh, appointments, we, we've talked about transparency. I mean, one of the things about, again about this government, uh, they were talking about more open government, uh, transparent government, doing things better uh, and more openly. But in many respects, uh, I mean, they use guillotines again and again on, on bills to push bills through. Uh, like we were up in the middle of the night, for example, on, on, uh, on, the, on the water taxes, uh, in my own case, uh, and, 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 and other people um, on, on the, the uh, right to water opposing, uh, opposing the government's proposals. But, you know, the, in many respects, I think, in, the, in this government, uh, they continued the bad old practices of, uh, of previous, uh, previous dolls. We do, we do need, I think, a, a total reform of the doll as well, and particularly the one thing I've been saying over the, the last year or two, especially we need an estimates committee so that ourselves... Uh, or, or anybody who wants to get into the doll and the, and the whole community, that we can actually have a full discussion about what, the, say, the next budget would involve, um, uh, you know, and go through it, in fact, department by department, um, and, and have, have a public debate so that by the time of budget, uh, a budget time, that people know exactly what, how they want to spend money and not to be, uh, you know, obviously privatised in important parts of the system. Okay, um, I want to come to uh, Michael O'Brien as well on this one. Uh, 
I'd say, thankfully, one thing Ireland does lack is uh, an official honours system or anything like the House of Lords that you see in Britain. However, we do have this situation where uh, of people being appointed at the boards as an equivalent of an honour system in this country, uh, and David Begg was mentioned as a prime example. But that is a scandal in of itself. But why was David Begg awarded that position, uh, the guy who was the leading trade unionist in this country for over a decade? Because I think that we were badly served by David Begg, and we are being badly served by the leadership of most uh, of, our, of our trade unions. I would regard th them during the course of this crisis as peacetime generals during what was effectively a one-sided uh, uh, class war where you know, there wasn't a significant defence mounted of uh, working conditions that were assaulted in all sectors of the economy, public, private uh, and semi-state. Uh, likewise. And by the way, this, this is going on in terms of the assault on workplace conditions and we need an adequate response from the trade union movement. I mean, we're going to hear talk about jobs and so on and so forth, but the first thing you mentioned was effectively a form of outsourcing embalmment. But two local uh, iconic employers, Crown Paint and Cadbury's, are both in the process of outsourcing jobs. Now, Mondelez, which owns Cadbury's and Crown Paints, are both profitable companies, but as far as they're concerned, they're not profitable enough. Hence, they're trying to outsource 17 jobs in, uh, I think, the warehouse in uh, Cadbury's, and likewise 23 jobs in uh, Crown Paints uh, as well. So there's a job of work to be done by the trade union movement, but the thing is, you know, you don't want the, any more David Beggs in that movement of ours, like, you know, when we see the just reward he gets because of the re relationship the trade union movement has at leadership level with the Labour Party. We need a new fight in trade union movement. Okay, we have about 10 minutes left in the debate and uh, I want to take one more question from the audience and then uh, we have a number of questions that came in on text so I'm going to just go through the panel and give you one question each. It'll be a different question each and, and uh, we'll uh, finish up the programme in that way. So we'll take the, the uh, question here from the audience. Uh, we have one early intervention team uh, for children with uh, autism between Dublin Bay North and Dublin Fingal, covering 300,000 people with uh, or children with autism. How is this to be expanded, extended? The provision is a fifth of the size it should be. I would have one observation with regard to uh, unemployment. I think it's churlish to say that uh, the government haven't done something as regards unemployment. They've brought us from 14% to 8.5% and something at some point in time should be acknowledged. Okay, um, Finney McGrath, can you, can you, yeah. The autism yeah. Uh, issue, I think uh, <clears throat> what we have to do is to ensure uh, in this particular incident that all children with autism uh, have a proper uh, services from the cradle to the grave. That would be my, my uh, broader philosophy. Uh, just tomorrow we're meeting a group of parents actually in Kilbarrick uh, of, uh, of children with autism. So from my point of view, as somebody who's a disability rights campaigner and as also as a parent of a child with an intellectual disability, it's, it's a very important issue. But we have to do more and we have to put the money into services. Just on your point on unemployment, uh, you're not fully correct. The national figure has gone down to 8%, I accept that, but there are parts of this constituency where unemployment is higher, way higher than that, in fact, double. Okay. Okay, thanks. On the text line now, and uh, Donna, I'm going to come to you. Uh, Kieran Kulak wants to know, why does all our wind power options have to be run by private companies? Does the state have a duty in owning electricity generation? They don't have to be owned by um, private companies and our preference would be for um, community and uh, public um, ownership um, 
of, of energy. I mean, it's obviously more prefer, preferable if, if people have themselves of control of they have uh, community energy uh, heating systems. And that's the sort of system that they have throughout Europe and um, Austria. Even if you can't have it in your locality, you can own shares in the energy that then provides your home. So um, you actually end up making a, an income out of it as well. And it also brings communities together. We need to be more connected in order to deal with the crisis that we have. And energy is the second uh, biggest expense that people have by putting a roof over their head and we're importing in all these fossil fuels. Uh, it's destroying our, um, our climate and there's no reason why we couldn't have solar uh, panels on everybody's roof and uh, access uh, to wind energy that is owned by communities. I'm very much part and, and part of, of the parcel of trying to promote community energy and I think that it's, it's the way to be. It's, it's the innovation. It's the way to go for the future. Okay, uh, Michal McDonough, I want to ask you, what's the number one issue, uh, Aileen and Marina wants to know, what's the number one issue you're hearing on the doorsteps from the people when you're talking to them? Uh, well, I think the, the number one issue is, um, is fairness. Uh, people are extremely uh, angry and dissatisfied with the, with the government. Uh, they realise that um, what's on offer uh, is more of the same, and they, they, are, they are trying to... Uh, come to terms with how they can change, bring about political change. That, that is the number one issue. Uh, in terms of individual issues, absolutely, the, the water charges are still uh, very much up there. Uh, the housing issue is, is crucial. The, the, the number of people who have family members in dire situations, the number of people we meet on the doorstep who are themselves uh, inadequately housed, some people facing um, homelessness and uh, accommodation and emergency accommodation. These, these are the key issues. But there, I can tell you there is a thirst for change and a desire for change out there in Dublin Bay North. Michael O'Brien, Councillor Michael O'Brien. Um, Aidan Calester says there was a strong turnout amongst the youth vote for the marriage referendum. Do you think that young people are engaged with this uh, general election? And have you any uh, feedback from your uh, doorstep visits of people you're meeting on the street? Yeah, I think the uh, mass registration that took place in advance of the marriage equality referendum, but also the experience people have gone through when the local water charges struggle are, are both politicising experiences, and I have detected uh, far more engagement this time around in all quarters of the constituency, but especially in working class areas. I recall in advance of the marriage equality referendum a degree of trepidation in some kind of liberal, more middle-class quarters that the, you know, that the working class you know, didn't, if you like, had the sophistication to see the issue on its own merits and would use it as an opportunity to have a lash at the government. But far from it, uh, they were extremely engaged. And some of the most impressive turnouts and votes were actually in, in Darndale, Coolock, where you had 88, 90% and so on. So I think that's going to follow through, hopefully, in this election as well. Okay. And uh, Paul Clark, uh, Independent, um, question from Pat in Artane. Would you have preferred a longer run-in time to polling day? Well, the, uh, it's, it's, I suppose there's... Um, <laughs> sorry. I, 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 yeah, well, sure, I would have preferred it uh, being held a month later, but, but uh, was a lot of people don't they want to get rid of this government as fast as possible, and I can really understand that. Um, yeah, people really need uh, new faces in, in, in government, and, and, and I hope I'm one of them to, to bring real change for the country. Okay, um, we're almost there. I have one final question that came in uh, on the phone for everybody. Um, so you, I'll start with Aon. Um, and the question is, you're all going to get the same question. What are you giving up for Lent? Ha! <laughs> I know what the rest are going to say, my seat, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um.
um, I actually gave up uh, the booze at Christmas time, and I've been keeping it going since then, and I feel great. So I might, I might just keep that going. Continue that one on. Uh, yeah. Michael O'Brien. No, I'm uh, on the dashboard diet at the moment in the middle of the election, so it's not an opportune time to embark upon any Lenten uh, vows, so I'm stuck with the, the Pringles and the junk food uh, until this election's over. Okay. Uh, Finney McGrath, you giving that up for that? Uh, I thought seriously about giving up the cigarettes, but I haven't done it yet. But I'm, every day I try. Every day. Michal McDonagher, Sinn Féin. Well, I give up tea, sugar and tea, so I'll probably give up sugar and coffee. And we need a, we need, we need a sugar tax. <laughs> Oh. Councillor John Lyons? Well, I don't drink or smoke, uh, and I did consider coffee, giving it up, but uh, I just can't. Life is too uh, tough at the moment. But I do think most people would like to give up austerity, and I think we have an opportunity on the 26th of February to do just that. Okay, and Donna Cooney, are you giving anything up for Lent? Uh, no, I, I became a, a vegan for January, I did that vegan challenge. But no, for Lent, no, I, I actually have always been that you should actually do something more. So, um, so are you going to do anything? Yeah, I'm going to do even more um, in terms of um, yeah, more, more for my community that I can. Okay, and Paul Clark, you give an answer up for Lent? Yeah, I'm hoping to give up chocolate. I'll try and stay away from it as best okay. I can. Okay, <laughs> and finally, Tommy Brown, are you doing anything for Lent or are you giving up anything for Lent? Well, I only realised uh, t- uh, today with Sash Wednesday when some of the constituents had the ashes on, but, um, well, I th- yeah, we're, we're doing more and more miles. I think that's like we're walking about 10 or 12 miles a day, so I think that'll be my contribution. You'll give up yeah. a, few, a few pounds, as in the pounds weight. Okay, well, look, that's it. That's it for our Near FM special pre-election live discussion. Um, thanks to everybody. Uh, thanks to the audience for participating and for the questions uh, that you asked. Uh, thanks to all of you for coming along to the Northside Civic Centre here on uh, Bunratty Road in Coolock. Uh, thanks to all the candidates. Thanks to Aidan O'Riordan, TD. Uh, Councillor Michael O'Brien, Finian McGrath TD, Councillor Michal McDonagher, Councillor John Lyons, Donna Cooney, Paul Clark, and uh, Tommy Brune TD as well. Thanks to all of you. Uh, thanks to the Near FM production team as well Gay Graham, Pat Meehan, Donny Tarrant, uh, Iart Irearte, and Keith Campbell, and of course Dorothy Meyer Holtkamp and Alan Bradish as well. Thanks uh, again to uh, Cassia and Thomas, who gave up their Polish program, and to uh, Kelly and Rodrigo uh, for the Samba Boys program. Those programs will both be back at, the se- at their usual times next week. If anybody missed the program, or if you want to listen back to it, you want to hear it again, it'll be up on podcast on nearfm.ie from tomorrow. Election day is Friday, the 26th of February, as you've probably heard a couple of times over the evening. Uh, whoever you vote for, please do exercise your right to vote. Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, From me, Declan Ralph, uh, I'll see you soon on the radio, and good night. This is 90.3 Near FM.